and bonjour all you gardening cats and gators. Welcome to Gardening with Cisco and it's December 22nd. So uh, happy day after solstice day. We get a whole four extra seconds of daylight today. So don't waste it, whatever you do. <laughs> of course, it's going to be raining and cloudy, but uh, hey, that's all right. It still it feels really good to know every day's getting longer, at least for me. I love that. Hey, today's show is dedicated to somebody I met in the late uh, 1990s when I led the very second garden tour I ever led, and it was to England, who went to the Chelsea Flower and Garden Show. So David Austin died, and uh, David Austin uh, is the person who developed David Austin roses. He was the first person to think, you know, he loved the old roses with all their fragrance and everything, but uh, he wasn't that crazy about tea roses everything because they're kind of stiff and everything. But then they bloom all summer. So he was the first guy to figure out how to hybrid combinations of those. And he has come up with some of the most fantastic roses. And uh, so back in the uh, 1990s, when I went to the Chelsea Flower and Garden Show, Mary and I went into his unbelievable display he had every uh, David Austin rose that he had ever developed in bloom in that display. I'm sure everybody that went on the tour with me was in there talking to him too. But I talked to him for a pretty long time. He was a really, really neat guy. And, uh, you know, just uh, he used to be a farmer. And then his love for roses took over and he ended up doing that instead. And uh Really a nice, nice person, and uh, sad to lose him. He was 92 years old. So, But now for some really good news. This is, this is really big. So uh, my team, I think, I can't remember what we were called now, but uh, something to do with Santa Claus. But anyway, we took first place at the Fiddler Pub in Trivia. <laughs> <laughs> now that is really big. We took second once. Usually we're like sixth or eighth. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is that one of the people on our team, it's a guy who I travel with a lot. He's he's the guy I work with, uh, Brad Silly, that I work with a lot on setting up all those uh garden tours that I go all over the world with, you know, and uh, he's a really good friend too. He had been flying all day and all all night and all day coming back from Europe. And then he got over to the pub and played trivia and he got all the answers. So that's the trick to win trivia. (laughs) Just fly all night and uh, it's a lot better. So, uh, but Gretchen got a lot of them too. But Mary and I were just kind of watching the show. I'm happy we won. All right. Hey, I. so, you know, on the front of Cisco.com, I put a link to Seattle Fruit because they have, you know, um, there's been a lot of interest now in people netting their fruit trees, and it's a really great idea. And on there, I have their handy calculator, okay? Well, I, I just found out that 
it's possible you might be able to get that netting that you could put over your tree. It's called hail netting. You can use B2. They're even using mosquito netting on like cherries and things if they're small because uh, that keeps that fruit fly, that really bad fruit fly on it. But anyway, what I wanted to tell you is that I saw in there that Magnolia Garden Center and Swanson's Nursery might, at least they were, carrying that um, tree-covering netting. So if you're interested, this is to stop apple maggot and uh coddling moth from getting into apples and pears. So uh, if you're uh, interested in that, you know, just go ahead and check that. You might give, like, you know, uh, either of those great nurseries a call and just make sure to, they still have it, you know. It's always fun to go to the nursery around Christmas anytime. Oh, my gosh, I went to Swanson's. I could barely get in the door. And I'm sure Malbacks, the last time I was at Malbacks, they were, it was like so many people. But that's wonderful because it's a great place to shop for the holidays. Okay. Hey, uh, just so you know, uh, there's a link on gardeningwithcisco.com. It's just cisco.com, C-I-S-C-O-E.com. You think I know that by now. To uh, the last time I was on New Day Northwest on King 5, and I did a really fun thing. I think it was really fun on uh, stocking stuffers for the gardener in your life. So I uh, came in with a really cool uh, stocking and uh, had Margaret pull out all the stuff I had put in there. Oh, la, la. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a blast. Okay, let's see. What else? Uh, all right. Um, okay, I think that's mainly everything, but I do want to mention one other thing, and that is that I will be at the Puyallup. Uh, home and Garden Show coming up uh, pretty soon now. So I haven't given a talk for a while. So that'll be Sunday, January 6th at 1 p.m. And I always love, uh, that always kicks off my year of garden talks. And I love that one because generally I get about 8 million people in there. I remember one year I gave the talk and the Seahawks were in the finals but they had to win this game to get in the finals. That's what it was. And uh, so I'm out in the car listening, and I got to be in there at 1 o'clock to give the talk, and I wanted to hear the game. <laughs> so I went in. They had a big TV set up, and we all watched, and uh, and a Seahawk uh, kicked a field goal, and they won, got into the playoffs. So it was really fun, and everybody was in a really good mood when I gave my garden talk. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. Okay. Hey, all right. Now, I'm I'm flying solo today, I so I'm hoping you'll give me lots of calls because that's always a lot of fun. I do have emails coming in, so I can uh, I can go with those, too. So, um, hey, the number is one 973 cairo one 973 So I really hope you'll give me a call, but... Either way, we'll talk gardening, serious gardening. All right. Hey, I'll be back in a minute. 97.3 Cairo FM.
la la. I have to go to the phones. But first, before I do, I want to make two announcements. And that is that uh, on the front page of Cisco.com, I still have listed all of the plants that I rely on to feed my hummingbirds in the wintertime. So if you want to check that out, if you travel like I do and you don't want to put up a feeder, then uh, you can keep those hummingbirds in your garden. If you if you plant every one of those on there, you'll probably have extra hummingbirds in there. The other one is I want to remind you, I've only said it once so far, is that I am leading, a Mary and I are uh, leading a garden tour to the Gardens of Japan next fall. So that'll be November 11th through the 24th. And uh, if you want to see the incredible, uh, (laughs) this really is a great itinerary, go ahead and uh, just click on that on the front of Cisco.com and you can check it all out. Okay. Hey, let's go to Mike in Tacoma right now. Hey, Mike, what's happening? Hey, how are you, Cisco? Oh, fantastic. I hope you are too. I'm great. Thank you. Right. Cisco, I was walking through my garden today, and I noticed that one of my rhododendrons, I think it's an Elizabeth, is starting to bloom. So oh. why is it just, and what's going to happen in the spring when it's, because I usually, I think it usually blooms in April. Yeah, Elizabeth's a spectacular, a big rhodi and uh, with beautiful pink flowers. But uh, you know what happens? They get confused. <laughs> so we'll get... Uh, a, a period of really cold weather, and of course it gets dark early because we're rainy and everything, and the rhododendron goes, oh, winter's here, you know, I got to kind of kick back. Then we get some warm weather, and uh, we don't get too cloudy, and the days stay longer, and sometimes our plants go, oh my God, it's spring, I got to bloom, <laughs> and that's what happens. Now, doesn't do any harm to your roadie, and you might as well enjoy it. You got some nice color in fall because you can't do a thing to stop it. But next spring, that's going to be the most boring plant in your garden because if it blooms at all, it's going to have like six blooms on it. So, <laughs> and you know what? It's just empty right now, and to do that, and it won't have any later, huh? Yeah, no, there's not much you could do. It's going to bloom. It's a little hard out, and, you know, they set those blooms right after they're done blooming. They put out new growth, and then they set the blooms for next spring. So that all happened in the spring, and so unfortunately, everything that blooms now, that's it. They're going to bloom in fall, and in spring, you know, they're just, that they're done. So I've noticed with some of my roadies, because I have a few that do that in my garden, I've noticed over the years that I get, you know, a few blooms, but it's certainly not a big display. So you really have to enjoy the fall color. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah hey, it's... Hey, can, can I ask you one more question? Sure. Uh, Cisco? Yeah. So I, I have some limelight hydrangeas, and I know you, you cut back your hydrangeas at different times of the year. When is the, when is the right time to cut back my limelight? Well, actually, all hydrangeas, you cut them back at the same time, but you do them differently. But uh, so with any hydrangea, what you want to do is you want to cut them back in late February or early March, right when you see the buds start to swell up. So when the buds swell up, that's the time to do it. Now, on limelight, 
that is, uh, I, I think that's an arborescence. So, uh, and they're wonderful, beautiful one. It, it could be a PG. I can't remember which it is, but it doesn't matter because both of those kind of hydrangeas bloom as they grow. So if you want, you can whack that down quite a ways in the spring, and you'll still get a ton of blooms, and you can lower the height of your hydrangea. See, uh, yeah, because those blind lights get really tall. Yeah, they do. So you can you can whack that way down to like a foot tall. It might bloom late, but it should bloom that same summer that you whack it down. That's the nice thing about arborescence and PG hydrangeas. They're the only hydrangeas you can cut way back like that and have them still bloom very well. So I could cut the limelight down to like a foot to 18 inches from the ground and it'll still grow back up to be 5 to 6 feet tall that same season? Uh, I think it'll get that tall in that season. I'm not absolutely sure if it'll get that tall, but it'll grow up. It'll be over 4 feet tall, and it should bloom. Now, if it doesn't bloom, tell everybody that Ed Hume gave you this advice. So (laughs) (laughs) he's he's my buddy. But... um, Right. Yeah, so I you know, but I'm it should bloom, you know, there shouldn't be anything that'll stop it from blooming. You should be able to whack it way back like that. You can do that almost every year. Here's the problem with doing that though, I should add. And that is that if you do whack it back that hard every year, eventually you'll get a million branches and they'll be thin. So what you'll want to do is sometimes Instead of whacking it back so hard, you might thin it out and not cut the branches down quite so hard if they start getting really flimsy and not holding the flowers well. Okay. Great. Hey, Cisco, thank you very much, and happy holidays. Hey, happy holidays, Mike. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, I think we got time, so we'll go ahead and talk to John in Olympia. Hey, John, howdy. Good, Cisco. So good to hear from you and hear you on the air. I'm calling about a plant that's been really successful for us, and it's Monarda, which is called the bee balm. It's that red. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah. Red flowers. And and what's happened over the years is it's really peripheralized, you know, spread, but we're happy about it because it blooms all summer and it. Oh, the hummingbirds. Hummingbirds die for that plant. Yes, it it's so fun, and we love it. But what's happened the last couple of years, it comes back, everything's going good, but it's coming down with powdery mildew every year. Oh, and yeah. so last year, last summer, I actually sprayed it with a product. It's actually a product called Vanish. It's an organic type of spray for powdery mildew. And it kind of helped, but it still got really bad. And so what my question is, should I just, because, you know, in the winter, that dies down, and it's just a little yeah. green, almost like a little, almost looks like microgreens that you eat. Yeah. And should I, is that just going to be prone to that because it's already infected, and would it be better to just dig it out and start over again, or? Well, here, I'll give you, if if it's a red one, there's a red one called Jacob Klein. Jacob Klein. And it is very resistant to the powdery mildew. Okay. So you could, because you, as you know, Monarda or Bee Bomb, it grows so fast. 
And uh, so it'll it'll fill in really fast. Within two years, you'll have almost as much as you have now. And I think you'll have a lot less problems. But Okay. And I'm going to give one other really important piece of advice on this, and that is that um, even Jacob Klein could get powdery mildew if it doesn't get adequate water. So with right. So with Monarda, you want to give them a little extra water, and that will really help keep that powdery mildew off your plant. Okay, because where I, we live here, it, the soil in our beds is a little different, but we have a lawn that uh, we don't try to keep it perfect, but basically the soil's really sandy here. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I do have to water every night. Every I, single I, night in the summer, our, our plants start grouping because it's just the composition of the soil. Yep. So I always thought that it was getting adequate water, but maybe I, maybe I need to even give it more on the monardas itself. Yeah, give the monardas more. They Monarda is a plant, it's a wildflower from the United States, and it grows in uh, very moist areas, sunny and moist areas. That's what monarda loves. So, yeah, it's always going to be a challenge growing that on sandy soil. Even Jacob Klein may have some problems. Right. Well, for years it grew and didn't get it. That's the thing that's so bizarre about it. it we, we had it for probably four or five years, never got it, and then just the last two years it's, it got it. It's the, I think for some reason it's drying out because it yeah. always gets powdery mildew if it gets too dry. Well, so, this is the thing need to ask which one more question sure it's powdery mildew and should i dig that out that i have and replant then to get rid of it or, or is it inherent in that that's just going to get it well here's the thing if you could clean up all the old foliage really clean yeah. up your garden really well powdery mildew is right. airborne it, but any any pieces of leaf or anything that are still out there in the garden they're going to sporulate in the spring and then it's going to get all over and all over again. So even right. if you even if you dig out all the plants, you still got You probably got a lot of powdery mildew out there. So for a year or so, I'd say maybe you can keep the kind you have. You might have Jacob Klein. So spray yeah. spray really early, water more, and you may not get any powdery mildew as long as you keep watering like crazy and mulch around them too to hold that moisture in. Okay, well, I'll do that because the plant is just wonderful. Every night we sit out on our patio oh, so great. and find hummingbirds. It's so great. All right. Hey, listen, if this works, you have to call back next year and tell everybody what a genius I am, all right? Well, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> and have a happy holiday. Hey, happy holiday, John. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. Hey, we're it's time for the news. So Tiffany's in here, and I'm going to get out of the way. 97.3 Cairo FM. And I'm going to go to the phones in a second, but I am flying solo, of course. So, one triple eight nine seven three Cairo, one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six is how you can call in and ask a question. And hey, I'm I am totally for that idea throwing out the diet. 
It's really important to eat the whole food pyramid, so make sure you have that pumpkin pie with whipped cream. Okay, hey, Greg from Arlington, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for calling. Yeah, hey, thanks for taking my call, Cisco. You bet. Uh, Hey, um, so we bought a house with a mature Asian pear tree in it, and when we were looking at the house, it's producing the most beautiful fruit, but I feel like the tree may kind of be out of out of control. It's about probably about 18 feet tall, and I'm just wondering how I could best manage the tree to keep producing and and get to where I can reach all the fruit. Yeah, you know that that can be so hard, especially with an old fruit tree that hasn't been pruned over the years. Well, the rule of thumb is that you could probably lower it by a third. Now, one third, okay. Yeah, that you're pretty safe if you do that. And pears want to climb; they they just want to reach for the sky, you know. And um, so they really need a lot of pruning every year. And when you do hard pruning, like take a third of it off, you want to do that in the winter time when it's dormant. Now you could do a okay. little follow up pruning in uh, like during summer, any time July or August. And just take off some of those sprouts that are reaching for the sky and everything, and that'll help too. And then do your hard pruning in the winter every year. Okay, so you're saying I can do one third in a in a in one event, and um, and then you could you could do that each year. Yeah, every third? yeah every year, and you're going to need to because it'll grow a third higher every. <laughs> Every spring, you'll oh. be amazed how fast it'll grow back, and uh, you know. So it's it's hard now. Now, if I had just moved into this house and I had an eighteen foot uh, pear tree, and I I didn't want to climb a ladder up eighteen feet to try and get the <laughs> do the pruning and do you know p- get the pears, I might just go ahead and take a risk and cut it in half. <laughs> now. A lot of my, I'm a certified arborist, probably half my certified arborist friends are probably going, what are you telling this person? (laughs) It might shorten the life of the pair, but you're going to, it would make life a lot easier. You'd be able to prune from that point instead of pruning from so doggone high up every year. And uh, you're going to get decay through those big cuts, but. That'll take time, you know. You're still going to have that tree for a good 20 years. It'll produce. So it's something okay. you could consider. It's a, It'll shock the livid tweedle out of the tree, you know, and it could it could even put it over the edge, but then you could go buy a nice dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> so should I, is there any kind of treatment to do uh, when you prune it? No, you don't want to use any of that tree heel stuff or any of that. Because uh, it's all, okay. actually that uh, pruning paint has been proven to cause more decay than it uh, uh, protects against. So it doesn't really okay. work. Yeah. So I wouldn't use any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, um, just I think the main thing is to try and hold yourself back as much as you can. Because the bigger the cut you make, the more decay you get. And uh, it might shorten the life of the tree a bit, but uh, I don't know. You know, a big, tall tree like that's so hard to deal with. I'd be wanting to cut it back pretty hard. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. All right, Greg. Good luck. Bye-bye. Thank you. Happy holiday. All right. Hey, we're going to Kingston now, a place I like a lot, and talking to Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hello, you're you're my, you're the other man in my life. Let me tell you that first. Oh la la! Well, I like hearing that. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to get right to my question before I get all garbled. Okay. Um, I I have a backyard full of potted plants. I've been collecting plants for a decade, and so I've got all kinds. I, I most of them have been grown from cuttings or divisions or seeds. And um, in the last couple of years, I've forgotten to move them around as much as I used to. So some of them grew out of the bottom of the pots into the ground. I thought so you were my, going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, and, and I did have protection down. I had some um, plastic um, kitty litter bags and stuff on the ground. Uh-huh. But some of them managed to put roots in between the lasagna layers of plastic. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so my question is, is do I cut the pot apart and nurse the roots out? Do I dig them out of the ground? And then no matter how I do it, when do I do it? And I've got all kinds of plants. I've got a, a mock orange growing in a big recycled tub. I've got um, kiwis, clematis, daylilies, pear trees, <laughs> you name it. I've got them growing in pots. So. All right. Do, I do it now or do I wait till March? I think you could do it now. The only th- only thing you got to worry about if I had if I had something let's say uh a butylon or something like that, I'd wait till spring nope. to do it. But if they're all hardy plants, you could prune them now. Just mulch around them so that if we get a really bad freeze that comes out of nowhere, that the roots won't freeze down in the ground. So that'd be the only okay. thing I'd be worried about. Now, getting them out of the pot is it can be quite a challenge. You're definitely going to be cutting these pots. That's what I think. I've, I've done it before. I just didn't know whether it was better to cut the roots off at the bottom of the pot or to cut the part of pot and nurse the roots out as much as I can. I think you're going to be cutting those roots off. I don't think you're going to okay. hardly have a choice anyway. So I think it, you can okay. cut the roots off, and then if you don't have to break the pots— you know, then you can just get them out of there, and uh, but but um, the main thing is that if they're really root bound, sometimes the roots actually start sticking to the side of the pot. It's really weird. Then you may be forced to uh, cut them, but most of them will probably come out. And uh, I think okay. doing it in the winter is a great time to do it because the plants are nice and dormant. So even if you do a lot of cutting on the roots. Those roots should grow back really fast when spring comes. So Super. Now, over here at Kingston, most of our soil is very sandy, you know, with rocks and dirt thrown in. But uh-huh. So when I plant them in the hole in the ground, what do you recommend I mend them with? Well, here's the funny thing. You know, all the newest information, and sometimes I wonder about some of these studies, but all the newest information from studies is you don't want to add compost just in the planting hole. And it makes sense because the roots come out into the planting hole that you've uh, added all that wonderful stuff to. Then they hit our native sandy soil or whatever they're going to grow in, and they go, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to stay here where life is good, and they go around and around in the planting hole. So if you could add compost over a very large area, then that would be the ideal. If you could put four inches of compost 
and till it in 12 inches deep over the, at least a large planting area around each plant you plant. Now that works sure. great. They'll love that, and that'll add some moisture holding capacity. That'll be wonderful. Super. Do you have time for one more question? Oh, yeah, you betcha. So I um, I have a hydrangea that I grew from a cutting like 12 years ago. The, the big old mop head lace leaf, or lace lace cap mop head. Um, so it's about five feet tall and five or six feet across, and it's just going dormant. The leaves are beige and, and light green, um, and I am going to be digging that up and moving it. How big of a root ball do I have to dig? Well, I, you know, usually what you want to do is start digging in right at the drip line, the end of the branches. Then, That's if, what I would have done if I hadn't called you. Yep. And then if you don't see too many roots, you can move in a little bit. But, uh, you know, that way you're really safe. And just remember, this is the most important thing I could tell you know what you're doing. But one thing I always am careful to do, if I break some of the roots with my shovel, I when yep. I when once I get it out of there... I will cut those clean with some kind of garden tool uh, so that they're cut really clean because that's one of the worst ways diseases get into plants when we replant a plant with injured roots. So cut those clean, and uh, I bet that hydrangea will be happy as a clam. Now, the one thing I have no idea about is asparagus, which is growing right next to the hydrangea. Do they transplant? Asparagus, yeah, you could, but more most of the time, asparagus gets transplanted in uh, like February, late February. Okay. Yeah, and you just bare root them, and uh, you could just even wash the water off them if you want. And but that you want to add a ton of compost when you replant your asparagus. Thank you, Cisco. Hey, so great talking to you, Deborah. Thanks so much for the call. Well, you're a keeper. Thank you for being here for us. Have a good weekend and holiday. Hey, I will. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, we're taking a break. I don't think we're going to take any calls, but I will do an email or two when we come back on 97.3 Cairo FM. So we don't really have time to take a call. I'd just be starting and I'd have to hang up on you. I don't want to do that. But I got a really interesting email I thought I'd share with you. It's from Robert. And he sent me a picture of a fuzzy egg case on a pear leaf. And he said they're on a lot of the leaves. So uh, I know what I would do. Now, the one, the one, I've never seen this fuzzy egg case case before, so I don't really know what kind of caterpillar is going to come out of there. It could be, it's possible it could be a butterfly, but more likely it's going to be some kind of troublesome moth, although I don't know what it is. So here's what I would do, and I used to do this at Seattle U, and I do it at home still. I'd get a shoebox, rip the top of the shoebox off, put a saran wrap or plastic wrap on there, poke some holes so there's lots of air, and uh, stick some of the branches with the leaves uh, inside the uh, in the, the box. And then you get to watch what uh, hatches out. That's really fun. 
Now, if they're really, if these caterpillars are all colorful and beautiful, then you might wait and they'll make a cocoon in there. And then out of that cocoon will come whatever it's going to be, a moth or a butterfly. Here's the problem, though. (laughs) If you wait that long, if that's a really bad kind of uh, caterpillar from a moth, it's going to devour all the leaves off your tree. So I probably would take some. I'd hatch those out, but I'd probably put the El Kabatsky pest control on the others. I think I'd go out there and squish the livid tweedle out of them. Now, because I think the chances of what I saw in there of it being butterflies is about one in a million. But I have had millions of cocoons on plants, and I took some into my office, and I said, we're not spraying until I know what this thing is. And even when I saw the caterpillars come out, the caterpillars were all colorful and neat looking. They ended up, uh, and then they made really cool yellow chrysalis, and those were uh, yellow tiger uh, swallowtail butterflies. So, hey, I didn't care if they ate a few plants, you know. And and I can tell you this much, your pear will survive even if all the leaves are chewed off this year, it'll come back. You wouldn't want that to happen two years in a row. So, But you got to find out what you got because that's half the fun, you know. So, And don't accidentally take the uh, plastic wrap off before you think of it or you'll have uh, moths flying all over your house. <laughs> I've done that before, too. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to give your puppy a walk. Enjoy Christmas. We'll see you next week. Bye. Yeah.